Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the voice user experience and strategy podcast. Today's episode, and I say this every single time I do an intro, but today's episode is super exciting because we're speaking to Will Hall, the Executive Creative Director, and Jason Herndon, the VP of Engineering at Rain Agency. Rain are responsible for some of the big ticket skills, some of the ones that are always cited in all of the examples that you see of well-played brand skills, the Campbell Soup skill, the Tide skill, they work with Warner Brothers to create the Dunkirk skill, which we spoke about with Florian Holland in a previous episode. They've created the Reverb app, which lets you test Alexa skills or access Alexa from the from your mobile. This agency is a big-time agency, and the two people we're speaking to today, our two guests, Will and Jason, are big-time voice creatives and uh, technologists. So today's episode is going to be all about what it means to have a voice agency. What does a voice-first agency do? And as a brand, should you enlist one? As a UX designer or a developer, would you want to work for one? How does it all work? What kind of services do they offer? How do they go about designing and developing skills? How do the creatives and the developers work together? What industries and verticals are they seeing voice being applied in? What have they worked on in the past? What's worked? What hasn't? What have they learned? What's their process? We're going to get really into detail about all of that stuff, and we're going to do that right now. It's been absolutely roasting. I found out there, um, Jason, that 100 degrees Fahrenheit is 37 degrees Celsius, which is far hotter than it's ever been over here. Um, <laughs> so you must be absolutely baking over there. Yeah, we're, we're getting close. I think it's probably around uh, maybe like 30 Celsius on average now. So, But right. it's like slowly ticking up. So we're just like the frog in the pot waiting for it to get bad, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about over there where you are, Will? Is it piping hot? Yeah, it actually is really hot. And, you know, our office is actually pretty far west in Manhattan. And every time I get to the office, I'm just apologizing for my dew. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. I took a bath. Uh, so I'm going to keep it classy for your podcast. So. Yeah, <laughs> nice. The office, my office is literally, it's like south facing. So the sun starts shining through the window at about kind of like nine in the morning. And it doesn't stop. It still hasn't stopped yet. So it's literally... On, you can see the sun shining on me now. It's just absolutely piping all day. I need to get a blind fitted or something. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, Jason Herndon and Will Hall, welcome to the VUX World Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. It is an absolute pleasure. Uh, Rain Agency is one of the kind of agencies that as soon as anyone starts looking around in this space very very quickly do you come across rain agency it's it's it is literally correct me if i'm wrong is it the leading voice first agency in america one of them yeah yeah i mean we we definitely believe so humbly but factually i mean we've had a we've just been in a very fortunate space to be able to have a lot of uh, exposure you know we were really early on uh you know on both amazon and google's platforms you know we had one of the first if not the first um, properly branded skill. And it, it really moved business for the company, that being Campbell's that we worked with. And we just kind of early sort of started to carve out this niche. And it's been something we've been compounding on over time. Um, you know, we've really doubled down on voice. I mean, we, we've now worked with 
you know, 35 of the Fortune 100 companies. And so, yeah, it's something we're really proud of and it's become not just a thing we do, it's kind of become the focus of what we do. And it's, and, uh, it's something we're incredibly excited about. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. So, so is that the predominant kind of function of the agency now then? It's, it's predominantly voice as opposed to uh, anything else? Um, yeah. And I would also sort of put a caveat around that, uh, yeah. voice meaning capital V voice, right. you know, not just skills or just actions or just, or just, but really thinking about the transformative nature of this new behavior and new technology, you know, I mean, as you know, the stats, so I mean, I'm not going to go through the stats of what, of it all, but just the fact that in two years, half of all search is going to be done through voice, you know, that's not just a skill or an action challenge. It's an everything action. It's an everything challenge. And so, you know, a lot of what Rain is doing is helping brands not just make those smaller applications, but thinking about what does a voice first strategy look like? And then we build the ecosystem in support of that. And, uh, you know, so it's not just one thing, it's kind of everything. And one of the biggest talk tracks, I mean, frankly, one of the biggest challenges we have is a thing that people tend to ask us for, which of course, we're happy to help with. Um, but usually the first question is not the most important one. You know, they'll say, Oh, we need a skill and we love skills and we're all about it, but that's not really the right question. It's how can we use voice as a new behavior to be integrated into our ecosystem, to move our business in a meaningful and measurable way. And so, um, you know, I head up the creative and, and I'll certainly pass it to Jason, but Jason really oversees the technology and, um, you know, we have strategy, creative and engineering really working in lockstep to help navigate voice and make compelling experiences. Fantastic. Wicked. So Jason, do you want to give us a bit of a, an overview of, of what you do at rain agency and maybe it's kind of how you got into the whole kind of voice thing. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, really kind of oversee the production of uh, all of our engineering projects, but specific to voice, you know, making sure that the, the kind of the production of uh, the voice applications uh, happens. Part of that is, you know, as we take each uh, voice skill that we produce for brands, you know, making sure that the kind of from the voice design all the way through uh, testing and certification uh, happens and is built. And then along the way, uh, we've built a open source platform called Voxa for, to help developers, uh, you know, in the actual coding and building of these uh, experiences. So uh, most of our energy goes to, you know, being able to build conversational experiences for these brands. And then also as we uh, do that, looking for ways to kind of help the community and build out the, uh, the platform uh, that we've built. Cool. Wicked. And what about you, Will? What's, what's kind of your role and, and what do you spend your time doing at Rain? Yeah, it's a good question. It's funny because, you know, my official title is chief creative officer and inevitably you, whenever you tell somebody that at a party and you're never at parties, by the way, if you're chief creative, <laughs> you never get invited anywhere, chief creative officer, but they, three Mississippi later, they're saying, well, what's, what's that mean? And it's a really good question. Um, you know, in a traditional advertising world, you know, I think a creative director's job is to bridge the gap between strategy and creative. You make sure that all the great insights that the strategy team does is sort of executed and realized in the creative work that's made. And I think that most good creative directors are always thinking in systems. You know, campaigns are sort of a first discipline. You're always looking to make sure that any suite of creative outputs are working together as a family. And so as we matured into voice, um, you know, there is no bigger system challenge than voice. You know, everything is affected by voice. And so what I'm really doing is still bridging that gap between strategy and creative, but making sure that all these different disparate parts within an ecosystem that's being fueled by voice is working together. 
um, and also making sure that it's human. <laughs> you know, this technology, you know, terms you hear uh, often is this sort of idea of a crawl, walk, run. We know that this technology is growing exponential. We know the adoption is exponential. The capabilities are exponential. And I'm super excited about that, by the way. When you see something like the duplex, um, you know, thing that came out, of, you know, a couple of weeks ago, this was a sort of leapfrog moment where I feel like everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's what that could become? <laughs> Holy cow. And I think that's the nature of these exponential technologies is they hit an inflection point where all of a sudden you're like, ah, that's kind of cool. And then the next thing you know, like, oh my gosh, we need to start over. This is, you know, transformative. And so for me, you know, as a creative director, I'm constantly thinking about what is currently there, but I'm also trying to figure out how can we skate to where that puck is going? <laughs> how can we make sure that when that transformative inflection point happens, that we're creatively postured to, to, to sort of capitalize on it? And there's a lot of brands right now that I think are taking a wait and see posture. Friend, they're going to be well behind. And that's not a scare tactic. It's a statement of fact. You know, it's just the nature of this exponential growth and expansion of voice. And, uh, you know, so from a creative direction, just making sure that we're future ready and that this technology is wrapped with humanity. <laughs> you know, it's just so easy to make this tech that I love. I mean, I'm a nerdy guy. I love widgety things. But, like, you know, it's easy for that stuff to kind of get in the way of what actually lives where people live. And when you think about voice being our natural interface, you know, it should feel human. It should feel emotional. It should feel again, as natural as me talking to you. And so how can we allow the technology to enable that instead of getting in the way of it? Cool. That sounds, and, you know, I was going to, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky to have creative strategy and engineering all in the same house, but I mean, we, we've orchestrated it that way just to kind of, to put a pin in, in Will's thought on systems because, you know, making these interactions uh, at all, but making them well and making them human, making them something that connects with people is an exercise of all three of the sides of, uh, of RAIN from a creative standpoint. How do we make it human? But that's also a technical problem. And it's also a uh, issue as well in terms of, you know, how human do you want to make them or not? So um, I, I love that we get to kind of, you know, work, in all of that environment and it's not something that I think that a lot of other agencies or shops out there get to be able to do to have you know a creative who owns the strategy for a brand sits down next to someone who is building the thing and get to be able to build these experiences and I think the kind of the, the quality and the craft of what we're able to itself there yeah so how closely do you two work together then typically uh, yeah, I would say very closely. You know, Rain, we have an internal mantra of in of one of uh, one company in three offices. You know, we have offices, you know, here in New York and in Central America, Utah. And we actually have opened a satellite there in uh, in Seattle, given all the work we're doing with Amazon. Um, and so it's just you know we're constantly collaborating. You know, in the same way that we are right now with this podcast. You know, and um, it's something that's sort of always been in our DNA and, and something we continue to do. But it's it's so funny because if you're Everything benefits from collaboration, you know, I mean, typically, but boy, oh boy, when it comes to voice, is that ever, ever more the case, you know, any, any thoughts on that, Jason? Yeah, I, was, I think that, you know, there are other mediums that we could work in where collaboration and working together is, uh, you know, would improve the project. Um, but for voice specifically, I, I think it's just a necessity. I don't know how you do it in a distributed way when you're not communicating and talking with each other. I mean, the voice design process is a, is both a, you know, let's 
chart out and map how we want this skill to go. And then as a developer builds it, it's kind of like, oh no, that, that word comes out wrong from Alexa. You know, let's, let's, let's go back and, and, you know, redo that word or, or let's go back and re-architect that flow or something. So uh, I think voice is just by nature, it has to be, uh, you know, just as we sit down and we have a conversation together and it's two or three people who are having a conversation, building the conversation takes, you know, a, a similar team of two or three. Yeah. So is that, it sounds from what you were saying in terms of when you're involved in, in client work and whatnot, you would have technical and creative involved all through from beginning to end. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and strategy, you know, and it, it's, those are really the three pillars of our business. And it's funny because I think again, humbly, but factually, you mentioned in the beginning how rain has sort of been sort of the leading voice company. And, and we, we do humbly agree with that. But I think one of the reasons why is like, we have, I think very, very capable tech folks. You know, I think we have very capable creative folks, but we've been linking all of this stuff to business drivers. And, you know, though it's so funny because like innovation with a lot of companies is sort of somehow oddly synonymous with random, <laughs> you know, a lot of the first calls we get, I couldn't, you know, I mean, it, I say this in, in a good spirit, but it's, they're usually just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and there's no real strategy there. But, you know, we've really found that guys, even though this is a new technology and a new behavior, and yes, it, very many, very often it is an innovation play, um, it can move your business in a real measurable, profound way. And I always sort of have to point to, you know, work we've done with like Tide as an example, you know, they were one of the first skills. But because they were there early on, I mean, they're really able to reap a lot of the benefits for voice because something that a lot of brands aren't accounting for in the context of something like a skill or an action is, yeah, voice is this sort of two-way you know, street, and, but it also listens. So we're able to figure out, gosh, you know, brands exist in the minds of your consumers. So what comes to mind when Tide comes to mind? You know, we created a skill that we programmed how to get rid of something like 35 stains. You know, how do I get, you know, grass out of sneakers or grass out of jeans? But we realized almost 10% of the things people asked us for were things that we didn't have products for. You know, so things like, how do I get dirt out of sneakers? How do I get wine out of upholstery? You know, they don't have sneaker products, nor do they have upholstery products. And so you just start to think about the qualitative difference of voice versus a Twitter feed that's different. That's a focus group of one in a sense. And that's something really powerful to us. And so, you know, you start to think about moving business, that's a valuable insight, you know, and we can link that back to business drivers. And it's, it's always something we're trying to ladder back to a business driver, even though it's new and innovative, should not be synonymous with random. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So where did, because I mean, you've worked, Rain have worked on, as I said, some of the like, you know, real kind of big hitting skills. You mentioned Tide there. Campbell Stoop was a really early one as well, wasn't it? And then there's the Warner Brothers collaboration with the Dunkirk kind of skill. Lots of really kind of presumably relatively big budget, certainly headline grabbing. These skills are mentioned whenever you look for good examples. These come up all the time. And what I'm kind of curious about is you mentioned there around the strategic side of it and trying to link it back to business drivers. Did though, let's take the Tide one for example you just mentioned there. Did that start out as that, as in Tide came to Rain and said, "Look, we want to try and enhance our business, gather more insight, and all that sort of stuff," or did they come first of all at a different place and you had to kind of guide them around? How did how did it all start in the beginning? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, in the case of Tide, in all fairness, a lot of those insights they knew. You know, in the case of Tide, you know, they know that. 
figuring out how to get rid of stains, that moves their business. And they have data to back that up. There's a reason their whole ecosystem is built around stain removal. So in theirs, it was, in fairness, pretty obvious. But when you look at something like you mentioned a second ago, our Campbell's work, you know, that to us is sort of our C picture for good strategy when it comes to voice, because there, there was no strategy. They're, they have strategy, but they didn't have those, the cre- what's that critical insight? And one of the ones that we found is that we were able to build a five-year business case that said recipe views drive sales. And we were able to prove this empirically. And so when you start to say, well, gosh, what should our skill be? Well, we know what moves your business. And it's dinner recipes, specifically dinner. That's what moves your business. And so when you look at that first skill, everything, and in fact, their entire ecosystem that we helped architect and build, it's rooted not just in you know random facts and here's an article and here's this other thing. No, everything is rooted in how do I solve dinner? <laughs> dinner is what moves their business. Dinner is what consumers are looking for. And their ecosystem is set up to support that. And so, though, again, on, in some ways, it seems somewhat obvious. Before we came in, they didn't have that data. You know, we came in and by, also, by the way, by leading with voice, you're able to get a lot of those insights a lot faster. You know, I think when you think about, yeah, okay, in two years, half of all search is going to be done through voice. Yes, okay, we agree. But the thing is, is that what that's forcing brands to do is actually own conversations and not just keywords. And when you think about the larger consumer trends of 2018, people aren't searching for brands anymore. In the case of Campbell's, people aren't looking for Prego, one of their brands. It's a tomato sauce. I mean, some people are, but most are not. But everybody's looking up, how do I feed a picky toddler? <laughs> how do I make lasagna? And yeah. that's the conversations that they have the category. They have the products in the category authority that they should be able to own those conversations. So it's really forcing brands to stop thinking from an inside out Campbell's, Prego, then the consumer. But instead, start with the consumer, get their conversations, and then get them to us. And it's, again, voice first is a really great way to, it, it, it almost implicitly makes you focus on the consumer first. And that's something that we tend to have some really nice insights around. And then, so Jason, when when kind of you're involved in, in this side, I mean, let's take the Campbell's, for example, you, you do a bit of work up front and you do that kind of business case analysis or what have you. You come up with a concept and then, obviously, as a designer, the kind of designers will shoot for the stars, won't they? You know, this is the ideal big picture in an ideal world, this is how it works. Your involvement at that stage, is your involvement reining people back or is your involvement... You still shoot for the stars and I'll try and kind of build it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, we, we try not to have a lot of wet blankets around the office because I think those aren't the, uh, <laughs> the type of things that create uh, compelling and engaging uh, interactions or w- with brands or experiences, you know, the, the kind of the old paradigm of the same old thoughts or the same old process are going to return the same old product, you know? Um, so I, we, you know, because we have been around the block for quite a while with this, we have a lot of um, super creative people who at the same time, you know, are very aware of the technical um, capabilities and understandings uh, of the platform than not the people who are developing it, but they're aware of it. Same thing with our strategy folks. They're the same people who know the ins and outs of Amazon certification and, you know, the, the limitations there. Um, but I would say kind of across the board, we all strive to, to challenge each other, to raise the bar on, on what's possible and to keep just pushing that out uh, further and further and further. I think, you know, you mentioned the Dunkirk scale. That's a great example of what was a choose your own adventure uh, game. We built a game engine for that uh, inside of our Alexa skill. We used a lot of uh, custom bespoke uh, audio that was created. That was 
uh, amazing and uh, well produced and weaved that into a, you know a graphic novel uh, that's texted to the user. I mean, we just we pushed the boundaries in a lot of what was uh, possible there and created something that was amazing. And I don't think that would have you know came about to all of our team's credit. I don't think that would have came about if anybody at any point um, wasn't uh, wasn't willing to kind of push the boundaries. Now, for sure, we definitely kind of you know sometimes reach uh, limits that you know are kind of ah, frustrating or oh, you know why does the system do that or oh gosh we've got to do a workaround uh, there, but. I think in general, we do a good job as a team of kind of like leaning into those moments and not letting the limitations, uh, you know, uh, stifle creativity, but letting them actually drive it and say, okay, how can we make something really amazing with one hand tied behind our back? Um, and that's a challenge that we, we enjoy and we're really up for, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I would also sort of add to that. I think Amazon has been a really great partner in that because it, the thing I'm loving about voice in general is that everybody wants it to be great. And that's from us to the client to certainly the dev folks and Amazon and Google themselves. And, you know, from Amazon, they're like, tell us what you want and let's figure out how we can build that. That's different. That's just a different posture because we want to make this great and transformative because it is. And, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, and, and I think Dunkirk is such a good example of that. Like a lot of that stuff was you really had to kind of hotwire it <laughs> to, to kind of make it all work together. Um, but there was a collaborative spirit that we want to make this great. And that is a, an exciting posture to be in where you're building the car while you're driving it. And we want it to be awesome. And uh, it makes it an exciting space to be in, you know. Yeah. So Rain are obviously a, a kind of a, a part, an Amazon partner, aren't they? So you obviously must work quite closely with, with Amazon. Do you work kind of like in that Dunkirk example, you were talking there around kind of the Amazon were really responsive and you managed to push the boundaries in certain areas. What, what, how does that kind of relationship work? Do you take an idea to Amazon and say, can you build that? Or is it more collaborative? Are they involved earlier? Kind of how does that relationship between you and Amazon work for the sake of pushing the technology forward? Yeah. So just to be clear, we're, we're definitely our friends with Amazon, you know, and again, we're fans of them, but we also work with Google. You know, we've spoken at Google as well. I mean, we're an advocate for our clients first and foremost, and we try to figure out how we can use those properties uh, and companies to their ends. But, um, and, 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 you know, and so, yes, we do work collaboratively. In the case of Dunkirk, a lot of times it's just a couple of emails. Honestly, it's not so it doesn't have to be much more than that. It's like, Hey, can this be possible? Maybe if X, Y, and Z are true, can this get on the roadmap? Um, but it's usually not much more than that. Um, it's, and, um, you know, there have been occasions where we've actually helped them build some of their, you know, working a little bit more there in Seattle, building out something, you know, with them. But for the most part, it, it, it's, it's a little bit more informal than that. Uh, I'll let Jason sort of elaborate on it if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd definitely second all of that. I think the thing that maybe I'd add would be that there definitely have been moments both with Amazon and Google. And I think, um, you know, anybody who's involved in this space, because to Will's point, I mean, everybody really wants to see uh, amazing experiences get built where uh, we have had moments where we've kind of pulled together with, you know, parts of their you know, technical teams or parts of their kind of product owners to kind of ask, you know, kind of just gut check questions of, okay, what's, what's possible today? What, what do we think is going to be possible? Uh, what type of experiences do you want to build? You know, is, is XYZ a limitation? Oh gosh, it is. Okay. Yes. What could we do to kind of to move that forward on both sides? You know, uh, I think everybody's been really kind of interested in the behind the scenes of, you know, how does, how do these things get built? And so therefore how can we help enable uh, and, and drive forward the adoption of, you know, developers really getting into this, both from a, you know, from a feature set level or a documentation level. So 
yeah, I think everybody's been really kind of wanting to, 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 to lean in and make sure that the process is, uh, is as collaborative as possible. And that's been super helpful for us to be able to, to just know that, uh, there's no kind of a pain point or there's no, uh, a limitation that's not on someone's map or radar somewhere. And so kind of just looking ahead in the next two or three years, we really do get to genuinely kind of say like, it's going to be in an amazing place and it's going to be, uh, something where, you know, all of those kind of creative, those wildest dreams are, are, uh, a ton more feasible because I think everybody's tracking the same way. We've got the same kind of list of like, okay, like let's hit X, let's hit Y, let's hit Z and then let's knock it out of the park in terms of what the platform's capable of. So I'm excited to see where it goes. You've worked on Tide, worked on Campbell's, they're kind of more sort of consumer products. You've worked on Dunkirk, that's kind of like filmed content. What, other, you know, the, the people listening to this who might not have kind of taken the first steps into this industry yet, and I know there's a lot of brands that are interested in this space. So you've got the consumer goods side, you've got the kind of like content film production side. What other sort of industries and verticals either have you worked with or do you see opportunities in? Uh, maybe I can and start start that and then we can uh, uh, and go from there. Um, yeah, I mean, we work around, there's six verticals that we're really focusing on right now. And uh, we're seeing obvious implications. And those would be CPG, no duh, CPG is trying to get into this. You know, when you look at the disruptive nature of Amazon specifically, um, how that sort of position zero, when you ask it to buy a product, it only gives you one or two. There's a reason that CPGs are first like, wait a minute, they're going to transact $11.7 billion in two years through voice. I need to figure this out right now and so i think there's a reason again those brands were sort of first to it but um you know when you look at healthcare, which is one of our verticals hugely powerful and especially when you consider the adoption of the elderly community around voice it's so funny because voice you know very often uh, tech adoption there's sort of a bell curve of age and you know let's call them millennials for lack of a better word early adopters and here certainly they're adopting voice but when you look at the opposite ends of the spectrum young kids older folks, they love voice. And when you look at somebody like you know, a five-year-old kid, a lot of those kids are growing up with voice. It's just ubiquitous. It is an expectation that I can go to my YouTube kids app and speak to it. They can't read, they can't write. This is just how they interact with stuff. And as a result, since, um, you know, uh, when you look at the entertainment vertical we work in, recently uh, Alexa ABS became COPA compliant. So we launched a number of kid-based skills fundamentally different interaction and it's something that really excites me when you talk about the the toxicity i'm using air quotes around toxicity of screen time with kids i think one of the problems is is it breeds isolationism you know it's like the kid is just in the room but they're in a bubble but voice all of a sudden makes it this conversational and communal thing and it gets really exciting and something else you realize is that adults when we look at you know, these devices, we, at least I, I see it as a device. I think a lot of people are playing, they use it for efficiencies, they're using it to call an Uber, they're using it to turn on the lights and things like this. But a kid actually tends to anthropomorphize the thing. And when you think about anthropomorphism, it invites play and exploration and what could be, and it's more of an improv situation in some sense. And I've just been incredibly excited about the transformative nature of voice being put on these isolation, these technologies that are breeding isolation and depression are now with voice breeding community 
collaboration, exploration, and joy. And then on the older, sort of with the older sect, actually also fighting a lot of that isolation and things like that. But, you know, certainly any industry that could benefit from the affordance of efficiency that voice brings, it's a no-brainer. Things like, you know, Domino's and the Starbucks of the world, how, you know, they are no doubt using voice to try and make it easier for you to order whatever your product is. That's a no-brainer. You know, working in the financial space. And when you think about, you know, how, um, how much speed has to do with investing, you know, voice is something we're actually working with, um, some financial companies around that exact brief, you know, how can we sort of, you know, use the affordance of voice to uh, make it more efficient. So we're really seeing this. And by the way, you're seeing this in every vertical, how they're, they're starting to mature to a place where voice can be an integral part. Yeah. I, I, and I think it's answering the question. If you, you know, go back, you know, five, 10 years, how is a screen likely to impact education or how is a screen likely to impact hospitality? You know, it's hard to kind of undersell the impact of an interface on society in general. And, and of course on every different uh, vertical that's out there. So for sure, you know, voice is going to impact hospitality, both from a kind of a discovery and journey of uh, uh, creating and booking travel to a, you know, in-room experience at a hotel room. Uh, for sure, that's going to happen and is a space that, you know, that, that we've been working in. So it's one of those, I think, because voice is going to be this, you know, ubiquitous interface that's going to find its way into every nook and cranny of our society. There's going to be for every different vertical, at least one, you know, probably two, three, four kind of of those killer use cases of, okay, yeah, that's exactly how voice plays for this vertical. That's exactly how someone in a hospital room or someone who's at home asking questions about, you know, how do I consume this drug or something? There's there's those, those use cases for every single uh, industry. And so I think for us, it's just a matter of, okay, how do we find those, tap into those, and then work with brands that are kind of, you know, at that leading edge who get it and really want to be able to, uh, to, to take this to the next level and really kind of leverage exactly what this new interface is going to mean for their consumers. Yeah. And, and the one thing I would add to that, by the way, is, you know, one of the biggest challenges, we all know that like personalization is, is the buzzword of the day. I mean, everything's about personalization and recommendation and all this. And obviously that's going to vector to a place where a recommendation becomes anticipation where things can act on my behalf. We kind of know this, right. But the idea of personalization, you know, voice being able to solve the capacity problem of me talking to you, you know, if within a voice assistant, now I can have an assistant talk to you. You can have your assistant talk to my assistant and things like this. And personalization is such a powerful tool for brands. And when you think about voice and voice assistants and the AI that's underneath it, being able to, again, scale the capacity of personalization. I also think that's something that has tremendous implications in pretty much any, any vertical you could think of. Mm, absolutely. You mentioned kind of across that, um, hospitality so obviously alexa uh, amazon rather have released the kind of alexa for hospitality kind of feature i haven't looked too detailed into it so i'm not 100 sure what it is but presumably it's making it easier for any hotel owner to to get themselves a presence on alexa um i don't know if you've had any experience with hospitality and also can you see a bit of a double barrel question so maybe i'll split it up have you had any experience with the hospitality stuff and then after that it's can you see the same kind of thing happening in other industries where alexa or amazon can kind of take on some of that core functionality absolutely yeah i mean uh, hospitality is, is we've worked with a couple of leading brands uh, in the U.S., both you know, from a kind of a travel and destination and planning of 
of uh, of a trip to the actual kind of a in-room experience uh, at, at a hotel. I think one of the things that the Alexa for hospitality and in general the Alexa for business uh, kind of additions to the Alexa suite uh, give us uh, is the ability to take what is for a consumer an at-home device that, that uh, they use in their home to for a brand to be able to put that in a an office room or a hotel room and to allow anybody to be able to use that. So now it becomes uh, a utility that hotels can manage in every room and they can, with Alexa for Business, they can, you know, provision 200 devices, assign those to every room. And then when someone says, oh, fetch my car, order me room service, I need more towels, they can know that, you know, that uh, request is coming from that room and it's routed uh, to them. So it's this really powerful way for brands to be able to specifically like in the hospitality space within room experiences, it's a really, really incredible way for them to be able to leverage these personal assistant devices at an enterprise level. And that's the, 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 that right there is really the key. So if you think about anything that has a, you know, an, an office space, a building, a room where there are lots of rooms and the enterprise or the business has a vested interest in understanding what's going on in those rooms or in fielding requests from those rooms, the, the possibilities are limitless. So for sure, in a few years, whether Amazon does it or Google does it or somebody else's, there's going to be, you know, some kind of a voice for hospital rooms uh, that has this. For sure, in the next few years, there's going to be a voice for classrooms in an educational space. Um, Amazon already has the Alexa for Business that allows you to do that uh, in office rooms and conference rooms. And so I think it's really kind of, uh, you know, when Amazon came out uh, or the Alexa devices, you know, came out as the first kind of really consumable voice speaker, we really saw it as a uh, one-to-one kind of a, a relationship between the consumer in a room with that, with that uh, device. Now we're beginning to see the relationship of like a business ha- having that room with the device and the consumer interacting with it. And at some point, I'm sure that we'll see a relationship of, you know, many people in a room who are using it in the case of, you know, hospitals or classrooms or universities or things like that. So we're just kind of pushing the boundaries on uh, how these devices are being used. But those enterprise applications with Alexa for business and hospitalities are going to be, I mean, I think we're two or three years away from, you know, it being the place where every time you check into a hotel room, there is some kind of a smart speaker that lets you control the room or get information about the hotel or order room service or things like that. It's just going to be one of those uh, no brainers for hotels and and anybody else. Yeah. And I would also say that, you know, our, our our central thesis on voice, when anybody asks us, you know, if you're an elevator and they say, what are your thoughts on voice? We have one sentence on it. It is like to win at voice, you have to think in systems. I know that's like a bumper sticker and a soundbite, but there's meat on that bone. You know, it's, it's, it is a system problem. And the reason I say that is because when you ask, you know, will Amazon, will Google start to create these industry and vertical specific offerings? I think absolutely. And also, I think that's also going to be part of the power of this. You know, even right now today, when you look at, you know, how people are training various NLPs, natural language processing around very specific occasions or verticals. Watson has a phenomenal uh, healthcare NLP, you know, so like you could imagine in the not too distant future where there might be some execution that's grabbing that for a specific case and grabbing this for a specific case. I'm actually a fan of like SoundHound, this sort of independent assistant they have this thing called collective ai and it's it's very much architected i'm not a tech guy by the way i'm I'm sort of speaking conceptually as a creative my understanding of it but you know it's like i'm going to own this specific little moment 
this guy over here is going to own this specific moment and all these little AIs can start to work together and be built a la carte for a specific case. I think that's just an interesting model. But when you look at sort of, you know, various NLPs that are being um, created around specific cases and even what duplex, you know, Google and duplex did around specific occasions like ordering, uh, you know, appointments and things like that. You can just start to see how these little moments can start to be stacked together to be to build certain uh, interactions. I think that's super interesting. And I, and I, I can't imagine that, that uh, you know, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, et cetera, I, surely they're going to continue to do that. They already are. Yeah, I mean, the analog is, is is what happened with web and mobile. I mean, the, the question isn't, oh, Apple came out with an iPhone, so Samsung, you know, hangs up the door and says, okay, guys, we're going home. I mean, that's not uh, how it works. So for sure, there's going to be, you know, competition across all all of these smart speaker devices and the services that they offer. But at the same time, you see it with Google's cloud offering, how they have, you know, healthcare-specific cloud offerings, how they have educational-specific uh, offerings. Amazon's the same way as is Microsoft. And then each of those have, you know, the places where they're, uh, you know, really kind of tailored for very specific um, use cases. And so you're having, you know, an air traffic controller who's running on an Azure cloud or something in Microsoft, and their systems are talking to other systems that are, you know, orchestrating different things, and they're running on Google's. And so... The way that we've seen web go in the last 10 years where all of these computer interfaces just begin to talk to each other and have their own kind of like purpose fit, uh, I think you know, to Will's point, that's exactly where we're going to be going in the next few years with voice and each of them owning different domains and communicating and talking to each other in that way. Yeah, and, and, and actually that leads us to like occasionally we're asked to sort of see where do we see this stuff going. And when you start to think about the complexity that Jason, we were just talking about where there's this thing over here, that thing over there, everything getting pulled together. I mean, even now you can talk to Cortana through Alexa and vice versa. I mean, what, I mean, we're going to end up at a point and, you know, you know, Mercedes, you know, and their car has their own assistant that's talking to another assistant that's talking to another assistant. No more, you know, and I think that in the not too distant future, I would hope that this stuff would vector to a place where I, the assistant is my assistant. And my assistant acts on my behalf and brokers those various interactions uh, again on my behalf because you know right now the voice assistance race is really voice forward is company forward rather you call Alexa you call Google you call Siri why I mean I want what I want when I want it so let me just talk to my assistant and you go deal with that um, and so I think that that is the sort of in my mind the natural evolution of this sort of you know system nested in other systems uh, mm. I think that's the implication of it. Yeah, there's. Um, do you know Smartly.ai? Don't you come across Smartly? I, I've heard of it. I'm not super familiar with it, though. No. Mm. So HM Tahiri, who is the uh, the CEO, they did they do the voice uh, Smart Voice Summit, which is a really really cool event. Actually, it's coming up in February. They just did one in London last month, and what they're trying to do is create a digital assistance, a digital assistant alliance, which is hoping to start doing kind of just that i think their vision is that exactly what you said why can't you just speak to an assistant wherever that is whether it's a smart speaker in a bus stop or in your shower head or on your phone and be able to call upon any other assistant whether it's cortana or alexa or whatever and have them fulfill their function from wherever they are if you know what i mean yeah all rolled up together it seems, I, I love that. I'm going to look more into that. I mean, it seems so counter to, you know, voice is our natural interface. I think that's one of the reasons that, again, back to the older folks, you know, very often they don't like technology, but they love 
voice? Well, why? Because it's our natural interface. There's that barrier to entry is very, very low for the most part. And so to sort of put a natural interface through layers of tech unnecessarily seems counter to the premise. And so uh, I love that kind of thinking. I hope it really gets there soon. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right in terms of, so I've told this story a few times, but my, my nana hates all technology and you know she wouldn't even get a dvd player i think she's still got a vhs player somewhere (laughs) (laughs) and she came she came she came round uh, which is all right because i get to watch uh, the young ones on vhs which feels as well how you should watch young ones (laughs) but um but she every time she come around a few months back and we had a echo in the front room my mum was upstairs in this room and uh i was kind of i dropped in on my mum upstairs asked if she wanted a cup of tea and then went and put the kettle on and then i was like what's what's all that about and i said oh it's just, you know it's a smart speaker you can talk to it and it does stuff and that and she's like, oh no i don't want that i don't want technology no thank you and then literally two and a half hours later i heard music blasting from the front room i walked in and my nana's going alexa play some gordon lightfoot <laughs> <laughs> and she, she she didn't need any instruction. She's just using it. You know what I mean? Oh, that's great. Yeah. By the way, Gordon Lightfoot, strong, <laughs> strong <laughs> listen from, from Nana there. Yeah, yeah. So, so is that what you're talking about when you talk about systems thinking? Because when I when I, I when I seen it on the website and, and we were kind of speaking beforehand uh, with Mayan about kind of about what we might discuss and stuff, and we were talking about systems thinking. And what I thought was systems thinking was that as a company or as a brand thinking about the systems that you use internally and how you can create a technology environment that would allow everything to operate seamlessly and talk to each other is that the right definition is that a wrong definition first of all no i think that's that's very much right it's it's really what we call and and i mean it's just everything it's not You know, most Fortune 100 companies, their businesses are based in a very siloed, bureaucratic model. And by the way, I understand that. I mean, there's efficiencies there, but as a result, very often, the right hand doesn't know what the left is doing. And again, when you think about voice, you know, the way you win position zero, let's say, in voice search, I mean, that's a web problem and a voice problem and an SEO problem and an SEM problem and, 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 and. And so you really have to collaborate you know, together to, to, to make everything work as one cohesive system. And I also look at companies like Domino's, you know, they, we kind of point to them very often where, um, you know, they're such a good example of having discipline in their innovation. You know, yes, they're early adopters of pretty much every new technology. They're there sort of on day one, but you know, on day one, you can order pizza through their skill, which talks to their app, which updates my phone, which speaks to their store and, 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 and so it just, everything is just everything else. And, you know, the idea that we we're talking about earlier about this sort of all these parts working together and, um, you know, having a touch point that's meaningful to me, I just think that's a lot of what system, systems are about. How do I know, how do I have one conversation with a thousand chats? <laughs> you know, that continuity between touch points is, uh, is I think, the affordance of a really thoughtful uh, digital ecosystem. So when you're working with brands and you and you're kind of having that kind of approach, because you when you when you take it up a level and you talk about Alexa speaking to Cortana or Google Assistant being able to interlink with Siri or whatever, that's very much something that that we can't really control, can we? So when you're working with brands, are you predominantly talking about that last train of thought that you were talking about having your your Alexa skill for argument's sake interlink with your CRM or whatever? Yeah, it's more. It's really a lot more that. That's exactly right. Um, that's a hundred percent right. And understanding, you know, when, uh, you know, and understanding the context of those technologies, uh, but that, that's a hundred percent right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
that, that makes sense. Cool. Um, what? Just we'll move on to to discuss a little bit about you know the the kind of rain process and how how you go about doing what you're doing stuff. But just to wrap up on the systems thinking, what are some of the sort of challenges that that may exist within a company when it comes to systems thinking? Because I'm imagining that when we discuss it and we kind of we're kind of on a level sort of playing field in terms of understanding the value that might bring. I'm presuming that not every brand that comes to you is in the same kind of place. So what are some of the either challenges or some of the discussions? that you need to have around that uh, yeah i mean we call it lovingly uh the herding cats <laughs> problem <laughs> of, of these kind of giant holding companies you're exactly right i mean that is the challenge one two and three you know you have a great meeting with the innovation team let's say but they're only you know their domain is this big but in order for us to actually win voice search let's say we actually need to talk to this team they might not even know who that person is and so you're 100% right. You know, I think that's one of the biggest disciplines I would say that we at Rain talk about our process. How do we infiltrate a place and get a team to work collaboratively and interdisciplinarily? And uh, it's been something I will say, though, that though it's an obvious challenge and companies are not structured to do that at all, um, I will say that voice, for whatever reason, has for some reason, you know, for whatever reason, has actually brought cross-functional teams at one table. So what has thankfully happened at least here, you know, over the last couple of years is, you know, we'll go into, you know, a large holding company or, or what have you. And there's the innovation person, there's the SEO person, there's the digital person, CTO, CIO, CCO, whatever. And it's good because we actually have a larger presentation that shows them the capital V voice, not just skills, not just actions, but this is what voice is going to mean. And we've had a pretty good success rate of having them say, ah, I got it. We kind of need to work collaboratively here. Ah, I got it. We kind of need to, in some ways, start over a little bit. And I'm actually, you know, it's funny because I think the companies that stand to lose the most are those that are structured the worst to solve this. <laughs> so I think they're the ones that need to be the most aggressive. You know, when you think about the ones that are the most siloed, the most bureaucratic, very often they're easily commodified CPGs, you know, and it's just like, guys, you know, you, we're going to have to figure out a way to collaborate and think differently. You've got to make innovation not be this noun, this thing you do once over there in that corner office, but a thing that is truly imbued into every touch point and all of us are working together. Um, and I, I'm, I think they stand the most to gain and the most to lose, but they have to work together to do it. Back yeah. to systems. Yeah. So it sounds very much then as though Rain as an agency and you chaps and, and the teams that, that you work with aren't necessarily strictly an agency in terms of you get a brief, you build something, you launch it and deliver it. But it sounds as though you're kind of working back up that kind of funnel and working in a, within the organization, trying to help them understand how they need to structure the organization to make this stuff work. It, it's really too. And, and, and if I may sort of add one thing to that, um, you know, I think what tends to happen and look, I, I came from an agency world. I love agency people. I get it. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm right there with you. But usually what happens when people give us an idea, they're not they don't know the questions yet to ask. And that's not their fault. It's the nature of the technology. I mean, we live this stuff. We breathe this stuff. And, you know, what tends to happen when you look at the history of technology and the history of media, what almost always happens is people negotiate the new with the, with the old. <laughs> they figure out what, you know, 
And I think the best example of that would be something like TV. When TV came out, the, for about the first decade, the ads on TV were basically radio ads on TV, brought to you by, and they looked, sounded like radio. They were run by radio people. And it was like, finally, I think it was a Chevy Malibu ad. <laughs> All of a sudden, they showed a car on the beach with a woman, and they're revving, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can make movies on this thing? And they're starting to understand what TV did really well, and now you've got, you know, in the last 50 years of media – but the same thing has happened with the web, right? I mean, when the web came out, people were sort of putting it web pages. I mean, they were putting books on the web. They were negotiating the new with the now. And you even see this from a design perspective with skeuomorphic design. You know, when mobile came out, Apple, I think, rightly used skeuomorphic design. Here's a physical TV to explain YouTube. You know, here's a notepad to explain notes. And the same thing happened with voice. A lot of the calls we get from agencies to go make my thing, they're very often taking a thing that is good for a website, but is not good for voice. They're trying to cram a website into a voice experience and it is not at all the same thing. And so we're not, we're never negative on that, but we just try to take a respectful posture. This is, can we have a moment to talk about, to have some level setting? And we found that to be a very one good outcomes. The best work we've had have come from that. Um, you know, but it, it, it's a challenge, you know, it's a very, usually when people just say, Hey, can you just go make my skill? Here's X amount of money. Well, you're usually not so excited about that. And those tend not to do great, bluntly, just because it, it's a, it, there's a lot to sort of get caught up to speed on. And I think where we found a lot of leverage and or not, not leverage, rather, but traction kind of partnering with people is, you know, I think about kind of typical ad agencies as really kind of being concerned with the output of some kind of a creative or, you know, development or some kind of a technical thing. And, you know, it's not just that, you know, we've developed ways of communicating with consumers that are kind of purpose fit for the the modes in which we're communicating with them. Behind the scenes, we've developed like operational and internal structures and organizations and digital ecosystems that are all in support of whatever that thing is. You know, so if it's radio ads, we have a team and a structure and an organization and a process that supports building radio ads. If it's websites, we have a web team and they work with the product people and everything behind the scenes mirrors exactly how we're outputting. So, of course, it makes sense that if there's a new interface that you're actually interacting with consumers uh, on, that's going to have implications for how you work together, what kind of teams you have, how you structure, what kind of roles do you need? Do you need somebody who's a conversational analyst and it's more than just someone who's you know managing a twitter page or actually interacting with consumers and of course that person's going to be working with a product person to talk about how you talk about your product on your site and that's going to have kind of implications across the board so i think that's one of the things that we've been helpful uh with brands as well is kind of you know uh caring about them as organizations kind of behind the scenes and then being able to kind of be partners with them and uh um, to give them you know guidance, help, structure, uh, you know, services that kind of help them realize how exactly this new interface is going to just completely kind of rock uh, the organization, you know, for the consumer and behind the scenes too. Yeah. And, you know, we would really encourage agencies as well to, to, you know, I was actually speaking with the folks at Pinterest recently, and they were talking about how a lot of times when agencies come to Pinterest, you know, they're trying to break the platform. <laughs> you know, they're trying to say, what does, you know, here's what Pinterest does well. They're like, well, that's great, but can I put a movie on it? Well, eh, I mean, kind of, yeah, sure, but that's not really what it does or whatever the idea is. And I'm not poo-pooing those sort of, you know, things that try to 
push a platform, but there's something more profound as opposed to pushing against it to seeing how can I live in it? How can I sort of embody the affordances and limitations of this technology to make something really great and remarkable by its own rules? Creativity is born from constraints. And I think very often new agents, you know, a lot of agencies who are new to this stuff, they try to basically say, well, forget the rules. I just want to make this thing. And you see this, you know, early on the, some creative awards that came out of that. And by the way, I get it. It's, they're cool things, but they're, they're throwing humor at it because humor is an easy, it's easy to be the kid in the back of the bus throwing paper. <laughs> it's hard to live in it and make something compelling and human and repeatable and something that moves their business. And so I think, you know, humor is the very often, and by the way, we make humorous skills. It's not saying there's not a place for that, but it's just saying, you know, voice is this new thing that really requires you to live in it because it's so easy to make bad clunky work without even trying if you're not really uh, being thoughtful in your approach. Mm. And there is a fair amount of uh, of substandard stuff out there as well. I think you know, we've, you know, experiencing and, and trying and exploring these platforms, there is some really good stuff, and there's some kind of you know subpar stuff. But yeah, and it's funny to me because when you think about like it just in larger culture, there's sort of in the attention economy, if there was such a thing, it seems like there's two. There's no middle class. <laughs> what I mean is. In traditional advertising, say everything's fast, everything's on a Twitter or an Instagram feed, you got uh, fractions of a second to get attention. Okay, that's true. But you know what else is true? People will binge watch Netflix for 12 hours yeah. and they say the enemy of Netflix is sleep. <laughs> and so, like, you realize that if you get a little bit of an attention, if you can break that threshold, you get all of it. And yeah. that's what the market, if you will, is giving us. And so, to your point about a lot of substandard skills, there's a lot, I think the average is 2% something like this re-engagement not great that's not true of ours humbly that dunkirk skill had 70 percent re-engagement and to us we found that threshold that says we're giving you some we're, we're we're making something that's worth your time and we hit that inflection point where people were coming back they were checking out the new uh the new sections that were opening they were seeing what was possible within it and invited play and exploration um and so you know i think it's just is one of those things is that we have to figure out yes there's barriers to this tech but when you when you can break that threshold you get all of the attention and it's qualitatively different than again a twitter feed a website even a youtube video and it's something that's really powerful i think from uh an affinity standpoint with brands, you know? Cool. So we've kind of started venturing into the kind of engagement and the creation and the team formation side of stuff. So maybe let's kind of venture a little bit further forward and let's kind of imagine that there's a brand that's approaching Rain. Um, what's, what, what's the kind of process that you would take a, a brand through that kind of approaches you and says, look, we really want to explore this voice thing, whether they come to you and say, well, I want an Alexa skill or whether they're just saying, look, I think we can really help us. What's the sort of general process as you kind of take a brand through presumably the discovery and all that stuff to creation and all that? What's the kind of broad sort of process? Um, yeah, why don't I take the upfront and, and, and uh, Jason, maybe, maybe take this, the, the backs part of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, something again, we well, very often when the phone rings, it, it is a lot of people already have an idea, you know, and, and that's not a bad thing, by the way, we, we love those phone calls, but you know, well, again, we want to try to help them discipline that thought. And so before we start just coding or creating or coming up with whatever, 
we actually start by looking at three things. One, business drivers. Two, consumer truth. Three, ecosystem. Business drivers. What is it that moves your business? I mean, we mentioned earlier in Campbell's what it was. You know, with Dunkirk, what moves their business? Opening weekend. <laughs> that is the most important day possible. So when you look at all of the um, content and the cadence of that content, it was backed up from that date. Everything shareable was backed up to that date. And we saw the group, you know, and we're starting to figure out attribution of how many people shared. Can we draw an attribution to ticket sales based on shares? So, you know, really wanting to make sure that this thing is moving your business, whether it's an entertainment or a straight up CPG skill. Consumer truths, who are we talking to and what are their need states? And of course, the ecosystem. Do you have the tech to support it? What do we need to build? What, what exists? What can we leverage? And then when you find an overlap of those things, then we start saying, okay, now we can go and make this thing. You know, Campbell's dinner solved. <laughs> you know, that everything is, is solving dinner. And so that's really the approach. And so we actually have an audit process wherein we come and investigate those three areas as well as um, conversational mining. Um, this is something that I think is something unique to Rain. I believe where you know we have various segmentation around uh, you know what consumers are saying to various devices. We're starting to build some patterns around that, as well as looking at their ecosystem as it currently sits and figure out where are conversations happening and and you know what are how how can we start to group those things together. So that's basically the first phase is to figure out where can where do you what are the what's the result of those three areas of research what conversations are happening. And then that takes us to our second phase where we start to synthesize those findings. We find that strategic territory. And then lastly, we start to define the long, near, short, near, and long-term implications. You know, short-term, make an action around this. Near-term, we need to start to build out your website to account for voice search. Long-term, we need a content hub that does X, Y, and Z. Here's a VCOM play. Here's a native integration into your app. And then each of those have their own playlist as well. So too long, didn't read of that. You start with strategy. And then you start to back into the creator from there. Uh, anything to add to that, Jason? Yeah, I'd just say when we do that, what that gives us as a team that's going to actually kind of you know build these uh, these executions on the platform, what that gives us is a lot more than just kind of a concept or a user story. You know, what that gives us is a really well defined target to be able to hit and build. So of course, you know. Uh, of course, our development team will build uh, user stories based on the kind of experience that we're going to build. Um, but if we're looking at, you know, the roadmap down the road and we're saying, you know, gosh, you're putting a lot of content into this skill. How are you going to manage the second or third version? How is this content going to interact uh, with your website? Do you need a CMS, you know, that's either, you know, feeding the skill or, or on top of this skill uh, that impacts the way that we build from day one even if we don't build with the cms you know at, at go that impacts the kind of uh, analytics that we build into it and where we measure interactions and that builds the kind of things that our voice designers will spend emphasis and time on if they know that a particular part or interaction uh, of the skill kind of like moves the business well then let's spend time and energy there and if there's another part that uh, is you know less uh, important or impactful but something that maybe you know we feel like we need to have for the platform Okay, let's do a good job at getting to getting to the kind of par there, but um, you know, not put as much emphasis on this. So it really kind of tells us as a development team and as a as a, yeah, a voice creation process, uh, what are the levers and the places that we need to pull and spend time and energy on. And so we have a really, really good idea of what we're doing. And I think that's a kind of a luxury that uh, we get when we start with strategy that uh, a lot of other kind of places that just go in and tackle this from it's to development standpoint okay let's go build something in a dev shop standpoint they really have to yeah. spend a lot of energy spinning their wheels at the beginning and, and we don't have to 
So uh, you mentioned there in terms of, there's a few interesting points there. One of them in, in terms of like, from the strategy standpoint, thinking about it not as a skill that you're going to launch and forget, but you the discussion you are having there is very much around what are you going to do with this thing when it's live and what are you going to do with version two, three, and four? Is that kind of how early you would have that conversation is very much at the beginning in terms of where do you see this thing going in the future and how are you going to be able to manage it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's become for us a standard of uh, we don't build a uh, kind of a, a version one of something without an idea of what version three looks like. And for sure, that's a kind of a, a living conversation that happens with brands along the way. And we'll test and learn as we uh, put something in market and see how it responds and how people interact with it. And, and that'll inform uh, kind of the next versions and those are flexible things. Um, but we think about it in terms of kind of a what's a crawl, walk, run of versions of these skills and where can we begin to kind of test some hypothesis at very early stage. And then how can we build on that so that by version two, three, and four, we've got, you know, something that is really kind of meaningful and impactful on the market and to the business. And that's a really kind of robust and sophisticated uh, experience, or that's really, you know, sophisticated in terms of how it interacts with uh, the owned website or CRM or something like that. So even if we're not building all of that, day one at launch and people are kind of, you know, getting their feet wet into it for sure. That roadmap exists and it's something that we revisit throughout the process collaboratively with the client. That's fantastic. That's really interesting. And then Will, you were mentioning there around, you'll be having these conversations. And then one of the things that, that kind of struck me was conversation mining. So, but with that, are you talking about kind of like looking at other skills that you've got and figuring out what people are talking to and what's working? Are you talking about using other data points from elsewhere? Presumably it's an insight gathering thing, but where are you kind of pulling them conversations from and what are you looking for? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, the first thing, it depends on the company we work with. For sure, we're doing comparative data from skills, no doubt about it. And we're figuring out what are the phrases, how long, you know, things like this. We also have a product uh, called Reverb. And Reverb has around 750,000 some odd followers. And we're getting some segmentation data. It's not a silver bullet. We're not, it's not fully matured, but it's one helpful data point. You start to figure out what are the behaviors of certain segmentation as well. But then also looking at a given organization. And it's amazing to us how much conversational stuff people already have. In the case of Campbell's, they had a 1-800 number for years around people calling and having conversations around dinner. And we, and it was all recorded. And so you're able to go through that and mine that stuff and start to group it into categories and say, gosh, what are the issues around dinner? Well, time, taste, nutrition, simplicity. These are the education levels that people are at when they're asking, um, you know, this is how they think about it. This is the, these are the types of recipes that have the most problems, all this kind of stuff. They actually had a lot of that as well as looking at uh, conversational places within an ecosystem. So things that seem out of date now, but things like mommy blogger comment pages, you know, there's a conversational nature to that. There's a back and forth to that. Um, so it's really looking at all of these different data points together and starting to figure out these are the conversations that these people are having and we need to account for those. Um, but it's really different for every brand. I mean, for sure brands though that have you know, 800 numbers and things like that, that is such an untapped goldmine because it's, you're literally talking to your consumer in, in a real way. Um, but yeah, it just depends on, on the company for sure. Mm. And yeah, that's fantastic. And then, so what happens then after that? What can a brand expect when they're working with Rain? You've done that kind of upfront bit. You've done a bit of kind of strategic analysis and you've, you've done the conversation mining. You've had a bit of a think about where this thing's going to end up. Presumably you've arrived at a use case. 
what's what's the what's the situation after that? How does it play out? Uh, yeah. So then for each of the outputs, that third phase, we have what's called a defined phase. And so from there, we start to define those opportunities. Do you need a skill? Do you need an action? Here's, you know, your voice commerce play. Here's a native integration. Here's your SEO strategy. Here's your voice SEO strategy, et cetera. And then we start to build out roadmaps for those products. When you think of something like voice SEO, that's a, tends to be a little bit of a bigger pool. Very often you need technical uh, sort of considerations, you need tagging considerations, and very often you also need content to populate it that's written in a certain way, that's targeted and all this kind of stuff. So typically that has a little bit longer roadmap than something like you know a skill or an action. And so we really try to come up with roadmaps for each of those outputs and put scopes against each of those. Um, Jason, anything to add to that? No, just to kind of... Uh, you know, one of the other, in terms of building skills or building kind of, you know, whether it's on, on Alexa or, or Google Home, building these kind of conversational engagements. Uh, from there, the place that we kind of end up after that design or after that um, uh, that third phase there is we really have a hypothesis around concepts that we want to be able to test. And so when we enter into, okay, how, do we, how are we going to actually flush this out into a uh, a VUI or how are we going to actually build a skill or an interaction around that in this specific case. That's not the only, you know, output of uh, where we go in and ask, but that's, you know, uh, obviously an output. So when we look at that, we really kind of begin with, okay, what are some kind of concepts and hypothesis that we can begin to test around what we know to be a core business driver? So if we know that, you know, recipes are driving sales for our business, what are, you know, two or three, for a hypothesis that we can begin to test in and around that for how we think consumers are likely to engage with your brand on this platform in this way in order to meet that end. And then from there, you know, we kind of work with the brand to really define and test and pull and interrogate those concepts to make sure that we really landed on something that, so that by the time that we get to the, the next phase, which is really, okay, let's actually begin to plan out what this conversation is going to look like on the platform. We really have a lot of very strict guardrails for how that concept is going to go down. What are the uh, kind of the conversational endpoints? What are the goals for a conversation? I think both from a kind of creative exercise in terms of the, the copy that's written and uh, how you know Alexa or Google is going to give voice and guide that conversation. But while we're planning that, where's where's the end game for this? If the beginning is hello, welcome to the skill. What is the third interaction? What's that? What's that? You know, point that we're supposed to end up on. Um, and then so from there, we can actually have a really, really well-defined process to then uh, go in and build those conversations out, which, and then we take and, you know, engineer and build and dev out and test and all that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. and then, so when it, when you, when it comes to testing concepts, and this is something that I think is really important for anybody looking at doing this kind of stuff, I think people tend to get an idea and then that's their idea, get wedded to it and then go for it. And then that's kind of it. You know what I mean? Whereas, you know, what kind of, in terms of the user experience design sort of field and, and obviously in voice as well, it's all around coming up with ideas and then testing it and figuring out which one's the right one. So how do you go about doing that? without kind of building a skill and launching it or how, how do you actually go about validating those ideas? Yeah, I think we use a lot of, um, you know, in the, if we're building a software product online, kind of the, the analog to this would be a lot of like paper prototypes. And so we'll do a lot of those type of exercises just to be able to get two or three uh, kind of steps down the process of building out a concept without having 
and to invest all of that time and energy in what may be an excellent direction or it may, may not be a, a good direction. And we need to know that before we begin to actually, you know, put code uh, down or, or build a conversation. So we'll do, you know, things like writing out scripts and then ask, you know, questions internally to ourselves or with the brand of, do these scripts sound right? Does this, does this tone feel right? Does the word this conversation is leading feel right? We'll sit down across uh, from tables from each other and, okay, you be Alexa, I'll be the, uh, the consumer we'll, we'll script it out and we'll talk it and we'll run through it. We'll do, uh, you know, scripted demos and kind of play them and say, okay, how did that interaction go? So it's building from a lot of, of what we know, um, as good like UX or VX kind of standpoints to be able to validate designs before having to build them. So that, that's typically kind of the approach that we've taken. We find that that's a good balance of getting to approximate what these ideas are going to look like if we actually build them to be able to know, okay, do we want to go through the effort of building, you know, that specific concept or idea? Yeah. And I would also say that, you know, as is the case of all digital. So the, again, a bit of an obvious statement here is not, well, we're done and now it's up and it's live and we can now go home. It's no, we have to continue to listen to it and iterate on it. And I think very often, you know, that's really where, you know, because we usually do so much work on the upfront to figure out what's that strategic territory, we're usually going to be right in some way. You know, we're usually not going to be in left field somewhere. And very often it's, okay, let's put this experience out there. And then we say, oh, here's this emergent behavior that happened. Or, ooh, these are the things that people thought this could do but didn't. Or, oh, this is how they felt about this. You know, I think qualitative QA is as important as quantitative in, in voice. You know, quant tells you what happened, but qual tells you why it happened and how they felt about it and puts empathy on it. And so as we start to iterate, we can start to get those more human factors into the software. Um, and so I think we're constantly, and that also, by the way, I think is one of the challenges with the way that brand, that a lot of brands sort of approach voice is a lot of brand and I'm, you know, it, it, I, we get it, you know, but it's very often a one-off isolation, isolated innovation play with no idea as to how to iterate on it. One and two, no real roadmap of how to integrate it into their larger ecosystem. And I think the unfortunate byproduct of that posture is one, you end up not making the best product. A, and then more importantly, B very often you'll, you'll have brands say, well, gosh, voice didn't really work for us. Well, no, you know, it's, it's a system thing. It's a product just like anything else and you have to live and breathe it and, uh, and iterate on it. And so, um, you know, I think that, that, but trying to keep that human eye on this technology is such an important part for us in our QA and ongoing life cycle of the product. Mm. And, and there's a, there's a piece just before that. So we've kind of discussed the discovery. We've discussed the, I think that the development side of stuff, um, we'll, we'll maybe just have a bit of a talk, talk about uh, Voxer in, in a sec briefly. Um, but I think there are a lot of listeners to this who are kind of quite, they're kind of probably comfortable with with some of the development side. One of the big things before you can do that kind of analysis afterwards in terms of what's working and what's not is getting people to actually use it. <laughs> so, I mean, it may, this might not be as much of a problem for you guys because you're working with some of the world's biggest brands, but what's the sort of, what do you recommend people to do to get their sort of skills or actions sort of discovered and used so that they can have that data to improve it? Um, yeah, I, I, I can take that. Um, discover, sorry, Jason, I was waiting. It looked, it looked like you were about to say something. Like, <laughs> sorry, I should, I should have uh, directed that one there. I'm just uh... No, it's all good. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, but I mean, we know that discoverability is a challenge for, with voice, but honestly, it's, it's been a challenge really for the app store, for iTunes. I think Spotify's rise is a direct result of iTunes' lack of an ability to do meaningful discovery. You know, it, it, this is a industry-wide challenge, and I think the invisible nature of voice amplifies that already known problem by a lot. 
Um, that being said, back to the win it voice, you think in systems, there's some no brainer, no duh stuff that helps solve that immediately. In the case of Campbell's, you pick up a soup can, guess what's on the back? <laughs> Campbell's kitchen, you know? And so it, there's a natural discoverability there. We did paid amplification around it. You know, when we work with brands too, and by the way, not all brands we work with are these giant fortune, whatever companies, some are a little scrappier and with them, you know, we do, you know, it's important to also look at what is the landscape look like within the skill store or within the action store. If you're trying to make a skill that a thousand other people have already made and they've done well, you're probably not going to win there. And so what we try to do is figure out what's that white space that you can start to put your skill in. And a good example of this, I have to go back to Tide just because it's a good example of discoverability and also the skating to where the puck is going. On the first day, you know, you had to say, Alexa, tell Tide, I have a stain. We all know that is not necessarily the best experience. I have to remember all those things, and that's not a natural way to talk. But, of course, we knew on day one that couldn't possibly be the case forever. And, of course, now today that's not the case. Now you can say, Alexa, I have a stain. And she can say, well, I have a skill. It's tied. And uh, because we're one of the, I, we are the best ranked in that certain category, we're getting that organic recommend traffic over and over and over again. And so that's a lot of when it comes to discoverability, that's another part of it. Are you trying to operate in a flooded space or if nobody's there, that might be a really good opportunity for you to actually be able to capture that uh, with the skill. Um, so there's a lot of factors there, but I think in general, you know, it's the same way if you put an app on the app store, just because it's there doesn't mean they're going to come to it. You know, you have to put eyeballs on it. And so a sort of owned, earned and paid approach is, is a right practice here as well. We believe. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, guys, I think we've, uh, we might, I think we've oh, got a little bit of time left, but I think we've kind of covered absolutely all sorts in that. <laughs> is, is, there any, is, is there anything that, that, um, that we've kind of, that we've missed out there in terms of the process? So we covered the, the beginning bit and the strategy bit and the, and the, the discovery through to the development up. Oh, on, on the development let's just back up just for one second because let's just tell us a little bit about voxer we haven't really covered a great deal about voxer so what what's voxer and, and how does it kind of work absolutely yeah so voxer is an internal uh tool that we've built that we've uh, made uh open source so uh developers can use it and essentially what it is is it's a framework to be able to build uh skills uh, easily and quickly and to be able to kind of take advantage of all of the affordances of uh, new features on the platform. So, you know, when the show came out, we were uh, updating Voxa to be able to have support for, uh, you know, that new interface. So we find that, like, uh, especially because we're developing a lot of skills over and over again, um, uh, or a, a, a lot of skills, that we need to be able to have some kind of efficiencies so that we're not creating everything from scratch. So this framework allows us to uh, really build rapidly and quickly. And the other thing that it does uh, is it really helps us to be able to leverage building one conversation and then being able to launch that in multiple channels. So Vox is an open source framework that allows developers to build a conversation and they can build that kind of agnostically of what platform that's going to be uh, launched on. So you can build a one code base and then launch that on you know Amazon, you can launch that on Google, you can launch it on Cortana, and we'll be adding more uh, as, as the market uh, sees adoption there. So it's really a really quick, easy tool to be able to get in and to build these skills and to build them well uh, and to be able to build them in a tested environment, to be able to take advantage of new features. It's got plugins for analytics so that you can plug it into your favorite analytics tool and use that. It's got plugins for 
uh, databases so that you can be able to save and interact and then kind of like user memory that you want. So it's just a really kind of quick and easy tool to be able to get in for developers to build. So this is, so you actually use it. It's not just a tool that you've built for, for developers. This is actually what you use to, to create this stuff as well then. Absolutely, yeah, and there are a couple other open source frameworks on the uh, uh, on the market as well. Even you know people that we're friendly with and, and talk to, and you know they're they're building their software world in ours, and, and you know kind of a rising tide uh, carries all ships uh, approach. But uh, this is not just something that we you know have built for the market um, uh, or have built for developers, but we use it and uh, all of our. Uh, brand skills as well. So, um, you know, humbly, I think I'd say it's, it's, it's not the only uh, framework out there, but it's, it represents one of the more mature ones and for sure the most kind of production hardened ones. And it's seen the most use from the biggest brands on the platform uh, with the, you know, the most engagements. And so there's a lot of just uh, uh, reliability there on it. Fantastic. So where can let's if there's if there's brands listening to this interested in in getting involved in Rain or or if they want to just kind of keep on top of what's happening at Rain and learn a little bit more about what you're all up to, what's the best way for people to either reach out to you guys or to to get in touch or to to, to kind of follow you all online? Yeah, you can reach us at our website rain.agency, uh, not .com, just .agency. <laughs> cool I guess we'll URL. Feature that way. Yeah. Uh, our newsletter, though, is something that if you're if you're really interested, you know, we really put a lot of thought into that. So you can sign up there, and uh, we really try to keep people aware of sort of what's now and next with voice. Um, so we encourage people to do that. And if you want to reach out directly, you can get us at hello at rain.agency, and we'll shoot you a note back. Fantastic, Will Jason. Thank you so much for joining us. That was absolutely incredible conversation i think we got into supreme detail in all kinds of areas there that was absolutely immense thank you both so much for joining us really really appreciate it hey kane thanks for having us we really enjoy it we're a fan of what you're doing and uh, happy to chat anytime yeah absolutely absolutely that was will hall and jason herndon wow that was an intense conversation that was absolutely phenomenal i know we've gone over the the typical hour that we that we tend to do sometimes and that's typically because we just have such an engaging conversation that it's just you can't stop it it's just free flowing it was just absolutely inspiring i think that there's bags and bags and bags of insight for brands and individuals and designers and developers and hobbyists and anybody who's even remotely interested in making this voice thing work for them or their business tons and tons of insights in there Rain Agency are up to some amazing stuff and, you know, everything that we've discussed today around, you know, the strategy, figuring out your strategy first, I think it's hugely important and the upfront work you need to do to figure out something that's going to benefit your business and, and add to, you know, whether it's increasing sales, whatever it is that makes your cogs turn, creating something that links in directly with that, I think, is is, is a absolute no-brainer the other thing i really liked was the systems thinking approach in terms of not just having a, a voice skill or action that sits over here in some kind of weird black box that you need to treat as a separate entity but actually how can you link that with the systems that you currently have and then inevitably as soon as you start peeling back that onion and you start peeling back the layers of organizational culture and tech you realize that there's a lot more work to be done than just building a skill you know how do you have your whole kind of organization systems talking to each other and then plug your voice uh, interface or your voice capability into that technology i think is a, is a obviously a challenge but a hugely exciting one 
uh, uh, yeah, an absolutely fantastic conversation. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Jason, for joining us. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, see you later. Oh,